Philippians on Sunday evenings, and I've asked Daniel Rogers to introduce the book to us. Uh, before he preaches, Juliet's going to read to us, and before that, let me pray that the Lord will speak through his word. How we praise you, Lord God, our Father, that you are a God who speaks and wants relationship with us. So send your spirit now and speak to each one of us as we listen to your word, read and preached. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So our reading this evening is from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with a fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, uh, good evening, everyone. It's um, very nice to see 30% of all of your faces. Um, it's lovely to be back in the church. It's lovely to um, be able to meet together. Um, the first thing I think I'm going to say is not particularly controversial, but it's, it's been a strange few months. Um, I probably don't need to spell out why, but I think one of the great things about meeting here together and one of the great things about going through um, the letter of Paul to the Philippians is that we get to see a little bit of Paul's letters in a very kind of unusual situation. The formation of the early church was very unusual. And I think a lot of the writing, a lot of the things that Paul has to say are very relevant to our situation today, where things are very different to what we may be used to. And so the plan for um, the next little while is that we're going to look through three themes that are present throughout the whole of Philippians. We'll look at three topics that are covered that we'll look at in more depth um, as we study the rest of the book. But those themes are perseverance, community, and joy. And we're gonna delve into each one of them a little bit more and think a little bit about how that might apply to the situations we find ourselves in at the moment. So let's pray before we start. Lord God, we pray that your word would speak to each one of us here, that we would hear the words that you have to say 
for each one of us, wherever we are and wherever our walk is with you. Would you guide my words as I speak? Would you guide us as we listen? And would you help us to hear your voice above all other noise? Amen. So let's start off with perseverance. And in particular, we'll be looking at verse six of our passage today, which says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The story of the church in Philippi is one that's rooted in confounded expectations. We see in Acts 16, uh, Paul's initial journey towards um, Philippi and it doesn't necessarily go in exactly the direction he was expecting. This is Acts 16, verses six to eight. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mashiach, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mashiach and went down to Troas. Now there's lots of names there that you may not recognize. But essentially, Paul's aim at that point in time was to travel west towards Asia. And we read a couple of times in that chapter that um, the Spirit prevents Paul from doing that. We don't know exactly what that looks like. But the upshot of it is that instead of going west, Paul goes east. Nope, I've got that the wrong way around. It's left, right, something to do with that. Instead of going east towards Asia, which is where Asia traditionally is, he decided to go west towards where Europe traditionally is. I even wrote this down because I knew I was going to get it wrong. Um, But he went to Troas, which is in Greece, and that is correct because I looked it up. Um, And then from there they went on to the region of Macedonia and the city of Philippi. So Paul's journey to Philippi was originally him traveling in completely the opposite direction and not just because I was in charge of which direction he was going. And in fact, this is a very significant moment because this church in Philippi is one of the first, if not the first, community of Christians in Europe. We hear the story of Lydia's conversion in Acts 16, and that's the first recorded European convert. So through this unexpected journey, we see the beginning of what has amounted to 2,000 years of Christian life across Europe. And that stemmed out of a misplaced expectation in what Paul was originally expecting to do compared to what God eventually ended up doing through him. And I think for many of us, we may have a similar sense of a misexpectation as to what God is doing in us and through us at the moment. In pretty much every area of our lives, so many things have changed over the past few months. The way that we work has changed. People are working from home. Schools and universities have been closed. Some people have been furloughed. Others have lost their jobs. Our social lives have changed in pretty much every way. Um, the social events that haven't stopped have to operate in a very different way. Our home lives are very different. The way that we shop, the way that we spend our free time is different. And the way that we meet together in church is very different as well. This is the closest that we've been in several months to an ordinary service, and it's still very different to what we would have been doing at the start of the year. And I think for many of us, we may feel that our walk and our relationship with God is in a similar place. We may feel that our journey with God is somehow on pause, that God doesn't have any plans for us in this time, that God's plans for us are on pause until the pandemic is over. And I think this passage reminds us that that isn't the case, that God is still working through us and in us. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. That work has been started at each one of us in all the ways in which we serve and follow God in our lives. And Jesus has not returned yet, so God's work is not finished in us yet. But what we may find is, like Paul, maybe what we're doing at the moment is different to what we might be expecting it to do. The way that we serve, the way that we follow Christ, the way that we listen to God and serve him may be very different to what we were doing at the start of the year, what we were expecting we would be doing throughout this year. But the first thing I think some of us need to hear this evening is that God is not done with us. Even though our circumstances may change, God does not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God still has work to do in us and through us. God has not forgotten us. And God still has plans for us. The second theme I want to talk about is the theme of community. And this comes out particularly in verse 5 of our passage. Paul writes, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He describes this partnership with the Philippians. And this partnership may well have been practical. When Paul was writing this letter, it was at least in part a letter of thanks for the financial support given by the Philippians to Paul. At this time, Paul was in prison, probably in Rome. And one thing you may not know about prisons in Rome in AD 62 is that, I mean, you may do, you may be well-versed in, um, in, in, in the art of first century prisons. Um, but in case you aren't, one of the unusual things about that compared to the way that prisons work today is that traditionally prisoners wouldn't have been fed by their captors. They would have been responsible for providing their own food. Um, obviously Paul wouldn't have been able to work while he was in prison. So the financial support of the Philippians would have been of particular significance to him while he was in prison. It would have potentially literally been the difference between him being able to eat and him starving. So it's understandable that he would be very grateful and thankful for this partnership. But I think it's not over-spiritualizing the issue to say that this goes beyond just financial community and it extends to the burgeoning church community there at the, at the time and the church community that we find ourselves members of 2,000 years later. This is present throughout the passage. We see this in chapter one and verse seven, where Paul writes, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my hearts, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. There's a call later on to be like-minded in chapter one and verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So throughout this letter, Paul is reminding the Philippians of the community that they have been invited into. The letter itself is written to the Philippian church, not to individuals within Philippi. And I think this is something that, again, is particularly pertinent in the pandemic times that we find ourselves in. It's wonderful to have the technology that allows us to meet together virtually. If we think even 20 or 30 years ago, um, what a pandemic would have looked like in terms of church life, 
it would have been extraordinarily difficult and extraordinarily different to what we're experiencing now. But as the way that we do church has to change, there are some things I think we need to be aware of. And one of the things that we do need to be aware of is the sense of community that we can so easily lose by meeting together virtually. It's great that we're able to meet in the church together, but even here we're having to sit with the people that we came with. Um, people worshiping and joining us um, online from home will again be only with the people that they live with or potentially by themselves. And as we do that, it's very easy for us to slip into a more individualistic faith, to start thinking about just me and my relationship with God rather than our collective journey and mission for God. When we baptize people, which as Jonathan said, we will start being able to do as well, one of the parts of the liturgy says that we are members together of the body of Christ. We are not individual bodies, we are one big corporate body. And when in the past we were meeting together, that sense of community was very easy to keep track of. We would meet together with hundreds of people in the building. We'd have events like Praise in the Park where we'd meet together with Christians across Leamington. Events like New Wine where you'd see people across the country and across the world. But when we meet together online, when we do community in the way that we have to do it at the moment, it's very easy to slip into a more narrow-minded focus and to forget the wider community and the wider body that we are a member of. And I think the result of this is that we need to be significantly more intentional about the way that we do community. We need to seek out that community. We need to strive to be members of that community, strive to participate as members of that body. And that will again look different to how it has looked in the past, but it's something that requires our attention and requires us to be thinking about it more explicitly than we may otherwise be. And I think for some of us, the pandemic over the past few months has, mean, has meant that we do withdraw somewhat. We do maybe not engage with the community as much as we could. And for those people, I think the message of God tonight is that we should be looking to engage again with the community to find ways to be part of that community again in whatever way that may look like and to recognize that we are members together of the body of Christ. And the third and final theme that I want to talk about in this letter of Philippians is the theme of joy. Philippians is a joy-filled letter. We see this in verse four of our passage where Paul writes, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. In one verse 18, the important thing is that in, any way, in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Chapter two and verse two, Paul writes, make my joy complete. And in chapter four and verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul is writing a joy-filled letter. And one of the reasons that I've put this as the last of the three points is as a reminder that when Paul writes this, he isn't writing this just idly. He isn't writing this sitting in some ivory tower, thinking about this in a very abstract way. Paul knew what it means to suffer. Paul knew what it means to struggle. We've seen a little bit of that in the journey that we've talked about. We've seen the fact that Paul is in prison. Um, if you have any other doubts about the way that Paul has um, suffered, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians which summarizes some of the ways in which Paul has suffered. It says, I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I think whatever we might want to accuse Paul of, we can't accuse him of not knowing what it means to suffer. And yet Paul, despite his circumstances, has been filled with joy and has written a joy-filled letter. In probably the most well-known verses in uh, this letter, um, chapter 4 and verses 12 and 13, Paul writes this. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And what can that mean except that Paul's contentment does not come from his current situation? I think for many of us, the past few months will not have been putting us in situations where we would have naturally felt joyful. There's a lot of concern and a lot of worry that comes alongside the pandemic. And aside from that, all of the other issues that have been raised over the past few months challenges about racial inequality, challenges about financial instability, Brexit and political uncertainty, climate change, all sorts of questions that are not joyful questions to think about, they're not joyful situations for us to find ourselves in. And as people who often live in a relatively affluent society, this may be some of the first times we've had to really confront difficult situations for some of us. And I think that can sometimes reveal where we're getting our joy from. Because it's easy when things are good to take our joy from our circumstances. It's easy for that to be where we find our joy and our satisfaction. But when things go badly, that joy goes away. But we can have joy even in the midst of these challenging circumstances by not looking to our circumstances, but handing them over to the one who is the source of all our joy. We have joy as Christians primarily because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross in dying for us to make us right with God. And this is something that is always true regardless of our situation. It is always true for you and it's always true for me. And this is where the source of our joy should come from. And this is not to say that we should ignore all of the issues that we listed before. All of the issues are very important issues and they require our time and our attention as Christians and we should be involved in all of these issues. But it needs to start from that place of joy, from that place of certainty in knowing who we are in Christ. And I think the other thing to note is that when Paul tells us to rejoice, it's not a criticism for those of us who aren't feeling it. Sometimes joy can be a very nebulous thing to feel. And sometimes when we re read phrases like rejoice, it reads a little bit like a school teacher sort of coming over to a child and being like, why aren't you happy? You should be joyful. And that, that doesn't work. I've, I've tried it. I haven't tried it. Um, but it doesn't work. And I don't think that's the tone in which this is written. I don't think this is written as Paul scolding the Philippians if they're not feeling joyful. I think it's more like a parent comforting a child in the middle of a thunderstorm when it's noisy and there's rain coming down and there's thunder and the child doesn't know what's going on and they're frightened. When a parent comes into a child and they're frightened like that, they don't go over to them and say, why are you worried? Stop being worried. Sort it out, fool. That's not what they say. 
they come alongside them and they say, I know why you're upset. I know that you're afraid and I know that you're worried, but you just don't need to be. You're safe. And I think that's what Paul is trying to communicate when he tells us to rejoice, is that we have situations that we face that aren't joyful. But Paul tells us that we can have joy regardless, even though he understands why these might be things that we find difficult. And if we bring it to God and we come before him, then I think we really can experience that joy that God has to give to us. And so I think these are three of no doubt many themes that are present throughout the whole of Philippians. And as we read through this letter in the coming weeks, maybe it would be good to have these in the back of your mind as we look through these passages. And in a minute, we're gonna have a little bit of time to reflect on the things from this passage. And at that point, it would be good to maybe think about these three things that we've talked about and see whether any of them seem like they're the one that God is trying to put his finger on for you today. Maybe it's perseverance. Maybe you need to be reminded that God still knows you, God still loves you, and God still has plans for you. And maybe in in that time, you can ask God to show you what those plans might be if you're not sure what they look like anymore. Maybe it's community. Maybe God's encouraging you to re-engage with the community, to find new ways to be together as members of the body of Christ. And again, to find out whether that looks different and what we can do to be a part of that community. Or maybe for some of us, it's that we've been taking our joy from the wrong places. We've been finding joy in our situations and we found these past few months really difficult. And maybe God's message for us here is that he understands the difficulty of these circumstances, but he has joy for us regardless. And maybe there are ways we can change our focus to put it more on Christ and less on our situation and understand more deeply the joy that is set aside for us. So I'm gonna pray, and then we'll have a few minutes to reflect on these things. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, and we thank you for the joy that we can find in you. We pray now that you would be with each one of us as we seek to hear your voice. Would you give us space to hear and ears to listen, and help us to hear what it is that you have to say to us. Amen.